What you're about to hear is from the essay, Letter to a Stranger, that appeared in the magazine Off Assignment in the fall of 2021. spotted us, thumbs out, on the shoulder of the road that was snaking along the Aegean. It was near sunset. I had met Martin only that morning at a youth hostel in Athens, and both of us were bound for Petrus, so it made total sense to go together. In that summer of 1970, he was a grad student at Oxford, and I was an American who'd spent more of my freshman year shouting in the streets, then listening in class. And I had fervently believed in the power of activism and counterculture and sourdough bread to end a war and usher in a just world. But then uh, friends started to disappear into communes. Shots rang out at peace marches and a bad trip sent one of my friends off a bridge. At 18, I had sobered up from the dream, salvaging only my weary self and this terrible sense of drift. But now, standing on that road, darkness falling, we desperately needed a lift. And so, when you pulled up, it was strange because I hesitated. I had never hitchhiked before. How do you recognize someone who will hurt you? How do you know? Well, when you opened the cab, I could see that you were stocky with these green eyes and thick black hair, olive skin, not too tall, smiling. We climbed aboard. I spoke only English. You spoke only Greek. And Martin, who had told me he knew Greek, but spoke, it turned out, only classical Greek, proved absolutely useless. So we all made silly sounds and gestured like silent film stars. We pointed to the road signs and you pronounced them just to give us a sense of the route. And it became this sing-songy routine that in memory sounded like Egeon, Pention, Gafion, Korion, Patras, like catching a fly, Patras, like gotcha. Over your shoulder was the sea. And it was lit by this amazing, gentle phosphorescence, and it blurred in the late day sky. I felt as though I were traveling through an endless space of sacred blue. The color of jeweled lapis that was used to envelop the Virgin in Byzantine paintings. And breathing in that briny smell of the Aegean and an occasional whiff, which was strong and woody from beneath your arms, I softened into the seat between you and Martin, and for a moment, I just closed my eyes. But then, a half hour down the road, on a deserted stretch, you suddenly stopped and said something we didn't understand. You jumped out. I thought, oh my God, you were abandoning us, or maybe this was the ambush that I was expecting. And I held my breath as you scrambled down this rocky steep, reappeared on the beach, stripped bare, jumped into the water, called and waved. You were inviting us for a swim. We followed you down there. 
Martin, who was built like a praying mantis, stripped to his baggy underwear. And he just dove in. I, a virgin, and not sure where this was going, hesitated on the shore. Finally, I just waded in with all my clothes, and thank goodness no one said a word. And the water was warm, and we splashed and swam, and I thought, here I am, 5,000 miles from home, jumping into the sea with strangers who right now are everything to me. Well, since I was wet and the night was hot, I climbed into the open flatbed and sat on your cargo, slabs of pentelic marble. Martin joined me. I dried off in this breeze fragrant with the sediment of civilization upon civilization, just imagining myself breathing in these molecules that had previously been exhaled by the ancients, connecting us across what seemed an eternity. And this great darkness gradually filled the sky and the stars just burned with intensity that I had seen only for the first time that summer. I had been on an archaeological dig and our young surveyor, Fuad, used to take us American dirt movers deeper into the Negev. And he would show us these vivid constellations, the dancer, the fish mouth, the plunging eagle, and he'd tell us stories he'd learned from his Arab grandfather. And now as we rode, Martin and I sang out into that glowing Mediterranean night Irish folk songs and protest songs that we both knew but no longer believed. Well, it was well past midnight when we reached Patras. You parked. There was enough starlight to see a city of white stone. I thought Martin and I were going to go and sleep on the beach, but as I was forming my goodbye, you gestured for us to come with you. And again, my instinctive fear just kicked in. But Martin followed you, and I had no choice but to follow him. And you led us up into this dark building, onto a winding staircase I could barely see. And at the top was a door. You knocked. At first, there was just silence. Then suddenly, it flung open, and your welcoming aproned wife gave us this boisterous hello and cooked us midnight omelets. The air smelled of onions and feta melting through mild, sweet eggs. Soon, your chubby young son, Aristotele, warm from sleep, appeared in his underpants, and he sat on my lap. Later, Martin and I crashed in his room in our sleeping bags on the floor. I lay there feeling luckier, freer, and perhaps more at home than I'd ever been. I knew that at that very moment, my government was bombing Cambodia and killing innocents. And yet here I was in a little house in a foreign land where strangers had trusted one another. I think of that night now as a return from the land of the lost, a place of disappointment so deep I thought I might never get back on the map of a hopeful life. But you helped me, carrying me a distance down the road. I understood even then that I had just received my portion of unearned good in this world, had lived my magic night on earth. 
one that would urge me forward toward whatever awaited me and beckon me back when I needed to renew my faith. In a world where everything had gone wrong, it was a night where everything had gone right. <laughs>